podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to another episode of Off The Wall. The wall being the proverbial paywall where uh, you can find all the content from uh, Anfield Index Pro. And this is a, a podcast where we give you a taster of some of the content that uh, you can find over there. And this week we've got a real good show. Uh, all of the main shows and all of the uh, all of the content that we're uh, plowing out just now is all to do with uh, the Champions League, Madrid, Tottenham, Liverpool. We've got legends, we've got journalists, we've got all sorts of stuff. But this uh, week we managed to put a show together with myself and Mo Chapter. It's our money talk show. You may have heard it uh, on Anfield Index or Anfield Index Pro in the past, but this week we took a slightly different slant. To those who have listened to the show before, you'll know Mo has had a particular focus on uh, Manchester City and the alleged financial doping uh, that's been occurring at that club. And uh, we took a real deep dive on that this week. So uh, the show was about an hour and 20 minutes, but we're going to give you 55 minutes, which is really the core Manchester City elements of the show, where uh, I asked my whole series of questions and he, he really does uh, do that deep dive, as I say, into uh, some of the alleged shenanigans that have been going on over at the uh, Etihad Stadium uh, with Sheikh Mansour and his crew. So uh, I hope you enjoy this and uh, we'll look forward to any feedback. We've already received mountains of feedback, which is the primary reason that we're uh, we're making this the featured uh, off the wall for, for this week. So uh, here's myself talking to Mo Chatra, Money Talks, hot in the city. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome back to Money Talks with Mo Chatra here on uh, AI Pro and... Uh, We've uh, decided to do a show, Mo, impromptu, if you like, but it's because uh, our Discord group uh, over on the Money Talks channel on our Discord group has been absolutely flooded with requests for you to speak about this thing, that thing, and the next thing. So we've not got an agenda as such, but we've got uh, a whole mountain of subjects to cover. So first of all, how are you? And uh, I guess you're as excited as anyone about Madrid, but also excited about everything that's going on in the background financially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um no. The days uh, counting down fast to uh, Madrid and a uh, week Saturday. So I'm really looking forward to that. Obviously, I'm not as fortunate as you who obviously be out there in Madrid. And uh, have you managed to find a ticket yet, Eddie? Or are you still on the lookout? We'll just call that work in progress for now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I haven't. And as I put on Twitter yesterday, I'm, I'm not. As bothered as I thought I would be, reason being mainly, I mean, I didn't get to go to a lot of games and there's a lot of season ticket holders, there's a lot of guys that follow Liverpool all around Europe uh, that aren't getting to go to this, so it's, I'm not saying it's a sort of perverse uh, gratitude in the fact that they're not going or I'm not going, but in all honesty, as I, as I said yesterday on Twitter, I prefer that those sort of guys, if there are any tickets going, are the ones that get them, and I'll be quite happy sitting with a, a couple of other AI guys like Adam Petrucioni and that, uh, watching on the TV in Madrid. If I'm there, I'll be happy, I'm sure, and if a ticket does come my way by chance, then I'll, I'll, I'll obviously gladly take it, but it's not the be-all and end-all for me, It's uh, and, and I know it is for some others, so uh, I hope that they get their tickets first, and I know we're going to talk in... Uh, later in the show about the Champions League final tickets and, and the ballot and the stadium and things like that. So uh, we'll come to that in uh, in due course. But first of all, we're going to start with the subject that most people are talking about. Uh, it seems like everyone else has uh, jumped on the Mo Chatra bandwagon when it comes to Man City. Uh, obviously, Rob Harris throwing that question at uh, Pep Guardiola after the FA Cup win, uh, the FA Cup annihilation, I should say, of Watford. And uh, you need to you need to fill in some blanks for us. So, with Man City, what's happened? Why is this? Why are the Why are the mainstream journalists now jumping on a on a train that you've been on for for for, for almost a year now? Uh, UEFA investigation, obviously. There's uh, there's the parallel investigations, I think, by FIFA by the Premier League, by the FA as well, I think. What what are the possible outcomes? I mean, I'm hearing stuff about potential Champions League bans, which 
with appeals to court of arbitration for sport could mean it won't happen next year, more likely the next year. Then there's a reporting of the issue and uh, obviously Rob asking that question, uh, which he's been castigated for, which I, I, I struggled to fathom why he's been castigated. I saw Danny Murphy talking to him on Talk Sport and really pilloried him for, uh, for asking that question. But when else is he going to be able to ask that question of Pep Guardiola? I mean, never again in all likelihood after a, a press conference like that. I can't see him getting near Pep Guardiola again. What's the real story here? Are, are, Man- are Manchester City, in your opinion, and I know you've given us some numbers on this before, have they been cheating? What scale has been their cheating? And what might happen with these investigations? And more important, most important, I suppose, when it might happen? Mm. Oh, it's a huge story, Eddie. Um, and, and you're quite right. It's something I've been harping on about for quite some time um going back to 2018 um you know i'd done some analysis um initially a couple of years ago um to look at fsg's performance as owners of this club and analyzing the figures of liverpool football club in terms of commercial revenues and other things um, i was benchmarking against um liverpool's top six rivals in england and that is when I started to see some peculiarities to the numbers I was seeing from Manchester City. Um, and then, you know, I did a bit of further analysis um, in 2018 and there was a lot of stuff that just wasn't stacking up. Um, so before, before I come on to that, though, um, yeah, I mean, the story itself is just something that's really blown up in the last week or so. Um, initially started uh, last week with... Um, the New York uh, Times and uh, Tariq Pandru, who's one of their writers, um, breaking the news that um, UEFA, um, one of its committees, um, had concluded its investigation into Manchester City and its um, original investigation from several years ago. And I think the reporting suggested that um, the consensus that had been reached was that that investigation had been lied to. Um, and on that basis, um, that committee was going to recommend to another committee um, that has decision-making powers that Manchester City should be banned for a season from the Champions League. Um, other media outlets that then caught on to this and they really latched onto it um, after the annihilation, as I put it, of uh, Watford in the FA Cup final at the weekend just gone um you know i I think it really dawned on many uh, journalists in the media that look this this is frightening um what manchester city has now become um a team that has almost limitless resources with which to build um a squad a club that seems to pay blatant disregard to ffp rules that everyone else seems to try to um adhere to whether those rules are um absolutely um you know spot on you know is is another debate um but the the point being that other clubs do try and adhere to them um and also um the response from manchester city to um the reports as well which was so um arrogant um so rebellious almost um that um it really surprised people just how um strong and assertive that statement was coming out of Manchester City. So the reporting of the issue from the likes of Miguel Delaney from Manchester City, for example, 
uh, Ewan McKenna, freelance journalist um, on Twitter and elsewhere and other media outlets has been really good. Um, but I feel that it's really only touched the surface. Um, and, and even despite that, um, it's been quite incredible, the reaction to some of these journalists um, on social media from um, almost exclusively Manchester City fans. Um, some real vitriol. Um, and I, I personally experienced some of this um, when I tweeted a thread about Manchester City several months ago, um, as you might recall, Eddie. Um, it was non-stop for me. Um, for about 24 to 36 hours, literally every few seconds, um, another update with, or notification with somebody giving me abuse, um, which, which didn't bother me. Um, it, it was just <laughs> almost became like noise and um, the likes of Miguel Delaney and others um, experienced it to a far greater degree, far more often throughout the year. Um, so the reporting of the issue, I, th I think, has been good, um, but I think there's so much more to cover. Uh, and there have been lesser uh, known journalists. Um, there was there's a journalist on um, a, a, a podcast called the Transfer Window Podcast by um, our great friend Duncan Castles, and, and he had a, an individual on who is a journalist who has worked out in the Middle East, and he, he gave some real eye openers about exactly what has been going on and why Manchester City were bought in the first place. Uh, so I'll come on to that in a moment, but. Yeah, I mean, in terms of why this is becoming an issue and why I think punishments are imminent and why this isn't another case of a slap on the wrist for Manchester City, um, we, we know, for example, that a lot of the European powerhouses, the Manchester, uh, sorry, the Manchester United's, Real Madrid's, Barcelona's, Bayern Munich's, they look at Manchester City and are frightened about what is to come, that this club with its, um, immense resources is just getting stronger and stronger and if they don't do something about it um, to maintain what is essentially a status quo of uh, an elite um, that Manchester City could overtake all of them and they will not be able to do anything to uh, counter their power um, but we also know that in the Premier League as well a significant number of the Premier League clubs um, have come out um, to support investigations, um, I think the number was 14 at least of the Premier League clubs um, came out to support the UEFA, FIFA and most notably Premier League investigation into City. Um, there's also a backdrop of uh, Middle Eastern politics at play. Um, people should know that the UAE, which Abu Dhabi resides within and is one of the Emirates within, Abu within the UAE, um, is a significant loggerhead with Qatar. Qatar also happened to own PSG and the relationships between um, those two states um, are acrimonious and you can, uh, and that's putting it mildly. So we also know Qatar is very much in bed with FIFA and UEFA um, and it's strongly sus uh, suspected that um, that relationship that Qatar has with those two powerful governing bodies is being used by Qatar um, to try and destabilise um, Abu Dhabi's um, soft power um, efforts through Manchester City. And for those that don't know what soft power is, um, countries that have um, less than pristine reputations on the global stage, if you can put it that way, um, try to uh, use sports most often um, and sporting institutions to try and soften the image of those countries 
um, to try and improve its PR. So Qatar have done that with PSG and um, Abu Dhabi have been seen to do that with Manchester City. And the argument from many critics is that um, these countries, these states, these nations are using uh, positive PR from um, successful football clubs, franchises and whatnot um, to try and uh, mask or try to lessen the uh, noise around um, some of their transgressions. And there's a lot of criticism that is leveled at both Qatar and the UAE about human rights abuses. Um, but also um, there's a battle at play between FIFA and UEFA. Um, and it's notable that um, Gianni Infantino, uh, who is who sits at the top of FIFA, who was previously a um, member of UEFA, at the time of the original investigation into uh, Manchester City and NFFP, um, and who was very much seen to be in the back pocket of Manchester City, and furthermore, leaked email suggested that he was almost negotiating a deal with Abu Dhabi to say, okay, what kind of punishment do you want, which is quite amazing. Um, but he is in a rivalry um, with the uh, president of UEFA, Seferin. And um, these two individuals um, also don't get on. And, you know, Seferin, when he was re-elected about three months ago, has used um, uh, his um, speech when he was re-elected to throw some um, barbs in the direction of his predecessor, um, Infantino, and... um, you know, it is it is certainly the case that uh, UEFA appear at this moment in time to want to act um, against Manchester City in the way that perhaps they felt um, Infantino and uh, others were not willing to do um, several years ago. Um, so, so that's that's the um, backdrop. Now, in terms. So apologies, listeners, this is a bit of a long-winded one, but, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> Hey, they've tuned in to hear you, mate. It's like, you just carry on. I'm, I'm, I find this all fascinating, so you just uh, you just crack on. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about cheating there, because a lot of people are saying, look, this club is cheating. Um, there's a lot of journalists who are trying to tread very carefully around this, but I'm not going to do any such thing. In my view... This is an unprecedented, unprecedented level of cheating, the likes of which has never been seen in professional sports. You know, when we've seen cheating occur, whether it's um, at a club level in any sports, whether it's an individual level, it's usually to obtain marginal gains that make all the difference. So if, if you take one of the most famous cheats, Lance Armstrong, um, seven-time former Tour de France winner. Um, we know that he, he got up to um, shenanigans um, involving uh, physical doping, which uh, aided him in becoming a seven-time champion. But that was all around achieving marginal gains. He was already um, a, a very good cyclist, um, but those marginal improvements were all the difference in him becoming the best in the world uh, for a sustained period. Uh, and you can look at other cheats as well, um, like Ben Johnson in the 80s, most notably. Again, you know, very accomplished sprinter, but you know, went overboard with um, anabolic steroids and became the world's fastest man um, until he was caught. Um, and, and at a bigger level, you've had um, Russian state-sponsored doping of um, hundreds of athletes who've competed in 
um, Olympics and world competitions. Um, but again, you know, a collective uh, round of marginal cheating. This is something that is on a scale never um, that's never been seen. It has changed the entire essence and being of Manchester City. Um, without this level of cheating, they would simply not be anything like the club they now are. I mean, it's not a case of, well, without this cheating, they might not have a couple of the players that um, they currently have. They would pretty much have none of the players that they currently have, with one or two exceptions. So just to put it into context, then let's let's talk numbers. And I've talked about numbers before, but let's talk numbers. So their accounts for the 17-18 financial year show that they turned ostensibly a revenue of £500 million, uh, which at that time was... Um, £50 million in excess of um, Liverpool Football Club, um, 60 to £70 million in excess of the likes of Chelsea and um, Arsenal. Now, the bulk of that, well, almost half of that income was quote-unquote commercial revenue. £236 million of Manchester City's revenue um, was commercial revenue. And... Uh, that number compared to what it was only in 2013, at which time Abu Dhabi was still in ownership, at that time was only 49 million. So that number had increased by nearly sevenfold in the space of five years. Now, um, I, I did some analysis of that number, 236 million, and I concluded that at best, about 60 million of that um, came from. Um, retail, from merchandising, from licensing, um, from their secondary sponsors such as Nissan and Tinder, um, and um, also most notably um, Nike, who have a deal which ex has just expired uh, for £20 million uh, per season. So all of that all together um, amounts to about 100 and, sorry, uh, approximately £60 million. So that still leaves 176 million pounds to account for. Where did this money come from? Um, so the only logical explanation is it came from Abu Dhabi. Um, so then the question is, well, are Abu Dhabi allowed to put 176 million pounds into the club um, and label it as sponsorship income? Now, for those that read the De Spiegel leaked um, documents, they'll know that um, probably the best publicized um, case of Abu Dhabi doing this is the sponsorship deal with um, Etihad, who are the airline um, that sponsor um, the shirt and also the stadium. And this deal in the past had been reported as a 10-year deal worth 40 million a year, yet a leaked email showed, and an email, by the way, that the club, Manchester City, have never disputed the veracity of. Um, that email from 2015 suggested that um, Abu Dhabi's um, injection into Etihad sponsorship was 53 million out of a total of 60 million. Um, but then we've got about three other companies that are Abu Dhabi based, all of whom have um, links to um, the ownership at uh, Manchester City. And it appears that um, between them and Etihad, um, the overall sponsorship was about 170 million. So in, in answer to my earlier question about is this allowed, um, to an extent it is um, in that if any uh, sponsors are considered to be what are known as related parties, that sponsorship is still allowed 
and the owners can inject and inflate that um, sponsorship as well. Believe it or not, that's allowed as well. However, the, 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 the key point to know is only at fair value, fair value. So of those four sponsors, um, Arbar, um, Visit Abu Dhabi, um, Etihad and another, um, you could say, well, certainly the primary sponsor, um, is it worth 60 million or more? Arguably not. And a comparison would be with um, Emirates and their sponsorship of the shirt and stadium for Arsenal, um, which only now is worth 40 million a season. Previously, it was worth uh, about 25 to 30 million a season. Um, so are Manchester City bigger, higher profile than Arsenal? Well, in terms of popularity, absolutely not. In terms of success, clearly they are. Um, but when it comes to sponsorship deals, um, the popularity is um, certainly the primary factor. Um, so it'd be very difficult for anyone to argue that that um, deal for um, Etihad should be worth more than £40 million. But at a push, you could say, OK, well, maybe because of their success with winning four Premier League titles in the space of about seven seasons, um, perhaps that is justifiable. At the most, though, I would argue, of that 170 million, 60 million uh, at the absolute most could be argued is justifiable. So that still leaves 110 million that you can argue is over and above fair value and under FFP rules would be discounted. But then there's another area to look at, which is wages. Now, on the f wages front, I did another piece of analysis initially to look at Liverpool Football Club. But then I started seeing something very interesting with Manchester City. And that was that between 2013 and 2018, Manchester City's wage bill increased by only 13 percent from 233 million to 260 million. Now, that, that, that seems like a big increase, doesn't it? 27 million pound. But then you look at the increase across other clubs. Liverpool football clubs increase. Um, between that five-year period was over 100%. It more than doubled. Um, and by the 2017-18 season, officially Liverpool Football Club's wage bill was higher than Manchester City at £264 million, whereas only five years prior it was 131 And in the same season, in 12-13, Manchester City was at 233 so Liverpool were over £100 million less of a wage bill five years ago. And then we are yet to believe that only five years later, Liverpool Football Club's wage bill is um, about four or five million pounds in excess of Manchester City. And then I looked at other clubs and I saw that the average increase across other clubs was 60% within the Premier League top six. And then if you look at the likes of other European um, major players, Barca, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, all of them, we're seeing their wage bills increase over the same five-year period um, by about double in the case of Barcelona Real Madrid and about 80%, um, 8 to 90% for Bayern Munich. So across these big clubs in England and Europe, massive increases in the wage bills. Um, and yet, peculiarly for Manchester City, measly increase. Does anyone believe that? Only Manchester City fans will because... You know, they have their head in the sand, unfortunately, and they refuse to accept that their club could possibly be getting up to um, financial mischief. But um, I think that all the evidence suggests that 
Manchester City's real wage bill is in excess of the figure that has been published in their accounts in the 1718 um, financial accounts. Um, now, to an extent, um, some of that can be explained by um, their parent group's accounts, which are the City Football Group. And um, if you look at their um, accounts, that does show um, a much larger wage bill. Obviously, that um, set of accounts um, consolidates the accounts of, I think it's seven different clubs that now sit within the City Group. Um, but, you know, what, one of the arguments um, that has been made in the past is that that City Group um, was set up largely um, to try and help uh, masquerade uh, the true financial picture of Manchester City and having group accounts um, helps to do that because you can, for example, um, allocate some of Pep Guardiola's um, salary towards um, some of the other clubs and label it as um, consultancy fees, for example. And certainly that that is something that um, was suggested about, um, uh, I think it was Mancini in uh, some of the leaked emails as well. So um, a very conservative estimate, I think, that um, realistically Manchester City um, and their real wage bill is at least 40 million off, probably a fair bit more than that. So we're probably talking about 300 million or more, uh, which would be a very reasonable assumption given that we know Manchester City, like Liverpool, um, have a very um, incentivized set of contracts and, um, you know, players um, and handsome bonuses for wins, for goals, for clean sheets. And bear in mind last season with their 100-point season in the Premier League um, and two trophies, um, a lot of players would have earned sizable um, bonuses. And we saw that with Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool football clubs wage will increase by 55 million between 1617 and 1718 um, because we know that uh, you know the club achieved top four and it got to a Champions League final um, and scored plenty of goals along the way. And all of these things do lead to sizable bonuses for um, many of the players. So all of that considered then, 110 million um, uh, commercial revenue that is over and above fair value plus wages of 40 million um, that are hidden um, in at least the Citigroup accounts and possibly elsewhere. That's combined 150 million pounds. 150 million pounds, if you take that away from Manchester City, they cannot afford that squad. Very simply put. Um, most of that squad in terms of the, the top players um, would not be at that club. Uh, because they just simply could not afford um, that amount of talent all in one place. If that talent is not in that place, Pep Guardiola is nowhere to be seen. His army of support staff are nowhere to be seen. Um, Soriano, Bixiristan are nowhere to be seen. Manchester City, without all of these players, the coach, the support staff um, and the directors, um, are not a team that serial become serial winners of the Premier League. Um, they're a top six club at best that maybe creep into the top four uh, when things go well, uh, but that's it. So so that is the level of um, influence that is being achieved by this uh, financial doping, um, that they are going from a team that would be hovering above the likes of 
um, Leicester City and Everton to a team that is now finishing regularly at the top of the Premier League with an incredible amount of points um, because it's a great squad. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, money in itself doesn't um, guarantee you success. And we see that season in, season out with Manchester United, um, who have got a very, very disjointed approach to spending money. Um, but that that is ultimately um, the situation. And I think that is the point that I think the journalists need to latch on to, that um, everyone talks about um, Manchester City cheating against FFP, Manchester City breaking the rules. But I don't think people have truly at this stage appreciated the extent to which this is going on. This is an absolute game changer for Manchester City. And I think um, if the authorities are properly investigating this and journalists want to spend any time um, sitting down with some accountants to analyse the published figures that are out there um, and benchmark them against all other clubs, then it's very easy to see um, that Manchester City's accounts stink to high heaven. And uh, without, without that money... Um, you know, the, this, um, you know, uh, empire that is being built, um, by Abu Dhabi, um, would, would crumble very quickly. Now, now, just a couple of other quick points I want to make as well. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, having talked about wages, if HMRC, um, the tax, tax authorities in England and the United Kingdom, I should say, um, look to investigate what's been going on because, um, some of those leaked emails certainly suggested that um, a, pro- a previous manager um, was being paid um, through other means, and we know, as you mentioned, with the Rob Harris um, uh, inter- well question to Guardiola that you know he was directly asked about this as well. Um, so I'm sure HMRC are taking interest um, in terms of other investigations that you mentioned as well. Uh, we know that Premier League um, is certainly investigating all the allegations too. Um, FIFA is doing a separate investigation about. Um, rule breaking regarding um, the signing of youth players and there certainly seems to be um, suggestions that um, Manchester City could be level with a transfer ban um, similar to Chelsea uh, for in fact, uh, indiscretions on that front um, and uh, all, all this stacked up suggests that um, you know th- this is different to what we've seen in the past this is not necessarily going to be um, a slap on the wrist, a petty little fine, and then get on your way and carry on doing what you're doing. I, I think that the response from Manchester City uh, will not have gone down well within uh, the halls of UEFA whatsoever. Um, and if UEFA and other governing bodies are seen to back down to this club, um, it's a really poor look, and it basically gives gives them carte blanche to um, carry on, but even to a greater extent. And uh, I think that there's just too many powers, uh, both within football and outside, that are looking to bring Manchester City and Abu Dhabi down, knock them down at the very least several pegs, if not more. Um, and, and that's why this is such an interesting, fascinating situation. Now that, I mean, that's a pretty in-depth answer you've given there. I appreciate uh, you going into such detail on all of the all of the points. Uh, we won't talk about Man City for the whole show, but I do want to ask you a couple more things. The... Uh, the thing that's got me, if you like, is uh, 
kind of twofold in the way Man City have responded to this. Obviously, Guardiola was outraged at the question Rob Harris asked him. Now, you've already said there that you uh, you feel that there's a, there's going to be more to come from that. Obviously, there's this alleged uh, precedent with uh, Roberto Mancini in the past and the way he was he was paid. So I, I think Rob Harris was perfectly within his rights to ask a question, and that's how investigative journalism works. I mean, I tweeted that even before you mentioned those names, I think on Sunday, I mentioned the uh, we have to applaud the sporting achievement because at the end of the day, they've not been found guilty of anything yet, no matter no matter what evidence is stacked up against them. But equally, I'd have said exactly the same in Seoul in 1988, and uh, whilst Lance Armstrong was uh, leading that peloton and w- winning all those yellow jerseys in the Tour de France, I'd have been congratulating them equally on their sporting achievements because what Manchester City have achieved on the sports field is absolutely unparalleled. But if they have been playing to a different set of rules to everyone else, then of course that needs to be investigated. And of course it needs to be punished if that's the case. Now, two things that I was going to mention. So Man City and the way they've reacted to this. One, it seems that Pep Guardiola in particular and Manchester City have uh, almost come out about being unloved. There seems to be a lack of appreciation or a, a lack of love for what they've achieved. But surely oil money, if you like, and money in general are never going to be perfect bedfellows with romantic sports success. I mean, the two just don't go hand in hand. You know what I mean? And okay, the people will say, oh, uh, like the the story, or, or why don't we put Mo Salah on the back page, the fan that went into the press box and said that. Well, in fairness, Liverpool have a lot more support, so do Manchester United, so do Arsenal, so do Spurs, than, than Manchester City do. They're bigger. They're a bigger deal. They're bigger news. Now, that's not to take away from Manchester City's success. Obviously, that should be reported because, as I said, on the sporting field, it's been an incredible achievement. But if Pep Guardiola's expecting Manchester City to be loved on the back of this and with the murmurings of these fi- this financial doping in the background, then I think he's... I think he's playing a strange game with that because he should know full well that that would never be the case. It's, it's like he's decided to come to Man City because he wants to create a legacy, whereas perhaps they've not had that established legacy at the likes of Bayern Munich and uh, and uh, Barcelona before as other two clubs where they're, they're stooped in history, they're stooped with success. Manchester City seems to be for Pep about going to somewhere without that established track record and building a legacy that people would talk about in years to come in the same way they do now for, for Cruyff at Barcelona, for example. So that's one thing. The other thing seems to be Manchester City very, very aggressive and ardent response to the, these allegations. They have been very quiet. There's still really no stringent denials, I think that's fair to say, not using facts anyway. What All they really do seem to have said is that the uh, investigation uh, by the UEFA investigatory chamber, they, they say that they've submitted a whole load of evidence that, that's been ignored. Uh, now, they haven't alluded, obviously, to what that evidence is while these investigations are ongoing. But what, what could that possibly be? What what evidence could possibly be ignored? You've just given a whole load of facts. So are you thinking it's maybe the dual split in the company, the City Holding Company, City Football Holding Company you mentioned? What what could be the evidence that they've possibly sug- submitted, that these hard facts to refute this? I struggle to think of any persuasive um, facts that they can provide, being quite frank. Um, and I think... Um, you know, just to back that up, I mean, the article from Tariq Panji, which did go into a lot of detail, uh, which started all of this um, last week, um, certainly seemed to suggest that um, those that were investigating and, 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 you know, talking directly with Manchester City were finding it quite hard to believe what they, they were being told. Um, so obviously, you know, questions would have related to um, the uh, commercial income about um, wages and, uh, you know, the, the, try, try, trying to justify, um, you know, injecting £53 million pounds, 
um, into the Etihad deal. With Etihad only paying seven million pounds of it to take it up to sixty million um, in twenty fifteen. Bear in mind, um, you know, it'd be difficult to justify, especially as I mentioned before, given sixty million on its own um, is very hard to argue for twenty fifteen as being fair value. Um, so. I, I, I'd really struggle to think of anything that anyone at City would be able to provide um, that would be able to back this up. Um, and, and the kind of City argument against all of this has been really quite bizarre. They've said, look, you know, it's um, there's an agenda against us, the uh, person um, leading the investigation, um, you know, has got it in for them essentially, and, um, you know, they're not being given a fair hearing. And the implication within their statement was that, you know, they don't expect to get um, a, a fair process out of all of this and we'll take it um, to the next stage and we'll make it a legal matter. And that is when they will then look to take it initially to the Court of Arbitration for Sports um, and then potentially beyond that. And, you know, a lot of City fans are saying, well, the, the rules are unfair um, and, you know, if they're challenging court that um, they won't hold up. But, you know, th this is a club that has accepted the punishment against these rules in the past. So to then try and um, argue that the rules are unfair when you've accepted the punishment against these rules, the clear argument is, well, if, if you think they're unfair, why did you accept a punishment four or five years ago? Um, so, you know, it, it's very, very shaky ground that Manchester City sit on and... Um, you know, it, it, it's to be expected that they will react like this because, um, you know, they've got people that, at the top um, who don't like criticism and deal with criticism in a certain way. And um, I suppose that's, we, you, you outlined before on another show and you, you said, sort of alluded to it here as well. The, the reason that the uh, the guys in Abu Dhabi got into this, the state of Abu Dhabi, if you like, was for this uh, PR, was for this public opinion, obviously. It makes the West think slightly differently, perhaps to some of those transgressions you mentioned, the, uh, the human rights issues and such. So when the PR goes against them, if you like, the court of public opinion, regardless of anything UEFA or any of the parallel investigations uncover, regardless of whether they're banned from the Champions League, and that will obviously would obviously have a massive impact on revenue as well, making it even harder for them to comply legitimately with FFP. But the court of public opinion, to me, that could be the biggest factor in this. One, if the PR turns against them and against Pep Guardiola in particular, who's all about, I mean, there's no doubt the ego on that guy, you know what I mean? Some of it very well deserved, but if the court of public opinion turns against them, how long do you see both uh, the the Abu Dhabi state and Pep Guardiola uh, remaining linked to uh, to what's going on in Manchester? Well, I certainly think that Pep would be looking to bail very quickly. I mean, he's somebody who takes great amount of pride in his record, and um, for it to have an asterisk against any part of it uh, would be something that would be quite humiliating for him, uh, and, and that's why already. Um, there is talk that, you know, he might give City one more year and then look to move on next summer. And, you know, if, if the shit really hits the fan um, over this story um, over the next several weeks and months, you know, he might decide decide to walk even sooner than that with all of his um, hundreds of uh, minions. Um, so so, so that, that's certainly um, a difficult one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're quite right. And I mean, just on, on the point about Abu Dhabi and soft power and PR, um, you know, it's been talked about in recent weeks that Qatar are looking to withdraw from PSG because 
um, of negative publicity around um, their failures in the Champions League and also about the same kind of accusations levelled at them about financial doping and um, how they are trying to buy their way towards success. And, you know, I don't think either of the, the two parties only bought into their clubs about two, three years apart, um, you know, in the last 10, 11 years, um, anticipated this level of scrutiny. Um, and, and certainly all of this publicity is bringing much more of a spotlight on their human rights um, situation than was ever the case before they got involved in these football clubs. So I'm sure that parts of these regimes are already discussing internally, you know, at what point is it just too much hassle? Is it just not worth bothering with um, that, you know, we're better off just withdrawing from all of this um, and then just looking at other um, ways to try and improve our uh, reputation on the global, global stage? Um, and, and maybe um, at a certain point in time, all of the negative publicity, if it really builds into crescendo, might just be too much. It could have the opposite effect as well um, with Manchester City, their owners. They might, you know, want to become even more um, combative against all of this reaction and say, okay, if, if people are trying to bring us down, we're going to take everyone else down and we don't care who has to go down as a result. Um, so, you know, that, that's why it could become a very dirty um, situation. Um, but within the UAE, um, you know, image is everything. And there's a certain point at which, um, you know, the, the whole situation around FFP, Manchester City, and buying their way to success will just become too overwhelming. And, um, you know, I, I think we'll see that in the coming weeks. I don't think we're going to have to wait um, a, a very long time to see, um, you know, the real repercussions of all of this. It's been building. It has been building. Make no question about it, though. Uh, the likes of Manchester United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, Bayern Munich, all these major players, if you think that they've just been sitting there, um, you know, in, in a disappointed state about the growth of Manchester City and PSG and buying their way to success and not adhering to rules that these other clubs are trying to largely adhere to, um, then, then, you know, you're sorely mistaken. You know, they will be lobbying as much as they can um, directly and indirectly um, to try and lessen, at the very least, the power um, that these um, two clubs have through their owners. And I remain pretty convinced that the uh, the English clubs, if you like, your Liverpool's, your Manchester United's, your Tottenham's, your Chelsea's, your oh, Chelsea's are a bit of a mute point, but certainly Spurs, another one. Uh, I, I think that Manchester City winning this domestic treble, almost uh, almost showing that they're perfect in in, in their own, in the domestic game, that will have these clubs uh, lobbying uh, the FA and the Premier League almost around the clock. I'm certain of it. I don't think the same, perhaps, even though UEFA are probably going to be the first to uh, to act. I don't think the same with FIFA and UEFA on the back of the fact that they're not stringing back-to-back Champions Leagues uh, together. They're not directly, if you like, impacting La Liga and uh, Liga and things like that. So I don't know if the powerhouses, perhaps on transfer competition and things like that, they have an impact, but uh, I don't know if quite the same, and I've certainly not heard murmurs of the same thing by the Spanish giants uh, in terms of uh, campaigning against Manchester City, but that that point you made earlier about Qatar and PSG is a great one, and uh, you can see that the, they'll, they'll be all over this for all sorts of reasons, and uh, it's one that's going to run and run, but before we just close off on Manchester City, I did say uh, right at the start, one of the most important questions is, where are these investigations, and when can we expect 
an outcome on them, if you like. Uh, so we've got UEFA looking like the first to announce something. Do you see the others following on the back of UEFA? Like, like for instance, you mentioned HMRC, the UK tax authorities. Are they going to wait till Manchester City are actually found guilty of something before they uh, before they announce or do anything themselves? Uh, the FA and the Premier League going to wait for UEFA or FIFA? Or uh, how, how do you see the order? How's this going to play out? Yeah, so I think that um, you know we've got four separate governing bodies. Um, investigating Manchester City simultaneously, which is unprecedented. Never, I don't recall that ever happening, um, certainly in this country. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned on Twitter several months ago, um, if one of the four buddies is seen to act tough, the other three, uh, or most of the other three, will not want to be seen to be a soft touch and look to be giving Manchester City a free pass. Um, so if UEFA, as is expected, um, look to level a one-season ban for the Champions League. Um, I would strongly suspect that FIFA, with their own separate investigation on um, you know, transfer and signing of youth players, uh, will look to come down hard. And um, the Premier League um, is carrying out an investigation um, along the same lines as uh, UEFA. And it's interesting, well, it's not interesting so much, but more worthwhile to note that um, any punishment from UEFA can't be then passed down onto uh, the Premier League because um, you know the Premier League um, has to take uh, responsibility for its own league, and uh, you know so people have talked about well you know if the UEFA investigation um, finds Manchester City guilty, will that lead to a points deduction? That that's not for UEFA to decide; that's for the Premier League. Um, and if there was a points deduction, um, I, I would not expect them at all to levy uh, against um, Manchester City for this season or any prior season for that matter. Um, but they, depending on how um, grave the uh, offences are in their view, they might look to even level a points deduction um, commencing from next season um, or even worse than that. So um, in terms of those investigations, well, if UEFA's one has been concluded, I would suspect that FIFA's one looking at a, a smaller um, uh, but still substantial issue should be on the verge of being concluded soon. Um, and the Premier League and the FA ones also um, should be concluded um, in the coming weeks and months. So uh, I would expect that um, by the start of next season, um, at least three of the four, if not all four, investigations should have been concluded. And I, I suspect that um, Manchester City will be hit with a bunch of punishments, um, but um, whether those will be implemented straight away uh, might depend on the extent to which Manchester City look to challenge. Um, and, and just one final quick point on the Premier League. Um, I, I think what this has really highlighted is the pressing need now from the Premier League to implement its own FFP rules. Um, and they are entitled to do that. The EFL, the English Football League, has its own very robust set of um, FFP rules. And, you know, they, for example, in just the last year, have hit QPR with a 40-odd million pound fine and deducted Birmingham City with nine points um, that took immediate effect. Um, that is hard-hitting, and that's the sort of thing that the Premier League just doesn't have. Um, they have a few pretty ambiguous FFP-related rules. I, I think they need to come out with their own very thorough um, set of rules that requires full transparency on all income and revenues um, and also about um, expenditure as well. 
And if if uh, for me that is um, even more of a challenge to Manchester City's dominance than um, a single season ban in the Champions League. Um, if they have to set out the Champions League for a season, that's neither here nor there. If they are forced to effectively um, declare uh, proper income and also declare proper expenditure, um, the way in which they declare finances will change. So go back to like 2011 when they were declared a, a loss of £197 million. That is probably not far off what their real position is now. And that's season on season. Yet officially, they are turning a profit. Um, so that for me is, is the key thing. And I think it's the Premier League that needs to be the driver behind that, not UEFA. Yeah, something that's going to run and run. And we just know, you just know that the Manchester City lawyers, I mean, if you learn anything from civil law uh, rather than criminal law, if you like, civil law seems to be about who's, po- who's got the deepest pockets. And uh, there's no doubt that the, uh, the shake run in Man City has a, has a fairly deep pocket. So it's, uh, it's going to be tied up in lawyers and it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. We know from the past president that Mo mentioned earlier in the show, fines, and it was a big fine. Was it something like 50 million around that mark? It didn't seem to affect Manchester City too much, did it? So, uh, I don't I think any sort of level of fine is going to really impact them and as you say a, a one-year champions league ban all it really does is suggest that uh suggest that they need to get their their finances in order but that complete transparency that you ask for i think if that happens and they have to do that or they're forced to do that then that's where it becomes a mission of guilt for wrongdoing and that's where the pr argument for me that's where the house of cards if you like starts to fall down because i don't think they can afford negative pr on that scale to effectively come and disclose everything which is effectively an admission of guilt which there's no indication that they're prepared to do oh yeah absolutely i mean it's one thing for little old me to be saying you know this is the worst case of cheating in the history of sport it's another thing for um you know the times or the new york times or other major media outlets the bbc for example to be making the same kind of statements. Uh, if those um, major media outlets make statements like that, um, the damage to the reputation of Abu Dhabi and UAE uh, would just be very, very um, significant. And, uh, you know, that that's something they just would not like. Uh, but it's something that they might be hard-pressed to avoid um, if, these conclu- if these investigations um, are proper and reach the... Um, obvious conclusions so it, it's a really difficult one for Abu Dhabi now and uh, I, I think that this um, you know aggressive attitude that they are taking is certainly not advisable uh, it will only um, strengthen the resolve of these powers uh, these governing bodies to you know fight up for their rules uh, because if they don't then you know it, it just makes their their standing um, very very weak uh, within within the world stage. Now we could talk to Mo for another hour on Manchester City if we had to because he's probably got enough contents worth to do that but there are some other things ongoing and uh, we don't like to let these shows uh, go on for quite too long because we appreciate they take a, a bit of concentration a bit of listening to uh, to your usual rhetoric on uh, on Anfield Index Pro podcast so uh, keep the concentration pricked for a little bit longer because we've got a few more things that we need to discuss but we'll try and uh, not dwell on them for too long so the next thing we're going to move on to uh, ironically we've got 50 minutes into the show we've not even talked 
about Liverpool's finances in, in any detail, but there are a couple of things in the news. One, uh, the, the kit deal, uh, last time we spoke on the Money Talks podcast, we wondered if uh, if one of the big players might come in and buy out this last year of the New Balance contract. That's not happened. New Balance have uh, announced their home kit, their goalkeeper kit sold out. I expect it won't be too long before we're hearing about a third kit and an away strip and things like that. So, so that's all to come. So first of all, I need to ask if you've got any uh, updates on the uh, on the uh, kit deal and of course the, the the bigger picture and the things that we've passed we've talked up before last year record profits uh, all linked to that Filippi Coutinho transfer as we as we covered uh, on the Money Talks podcast not long ago where are we looking for turnover wise uh, on this season and, and can we expect uh, perhaps not a record profit but any sort of profit obviously this Champions League uh, run is going to help with that yeah, sure. Um, so let, let's start with uh, the financial position of the club um, as we come towards the end of the season. Um, it, it looks like um, Liverpool are on target to achieve total revenues of um, around 490 to £500 million, pounds, uh, which is just huge, absolutely enormous. And, um, you know, to look at where we were as a club um, two or three seasons ago when the revenues were uh, 300 and then £360 million, um, to have such significant increase is quite remarkable, um, and, and, and this further increase of about you know 35 to 45 million from the 455 that was um, delivered in 1718 is largely down to um, increases in Champions League money. Um, a new three-year Champions League TV deal kicked in um, at the start of this season, so um, that will result in more money um, for the club. And also, my um, understanding is that the standard charter deal that was announced um, as an extension um, about a year ago has actually come into effect this season. And that saw um, the uh, turnover for the uh, standard charter income increase by at least £12 million, but it is performance related. So if, for example, Liverpool were to win the Champions League, um, that money from standard chartered could be north of £50 million which won't be then far off the record um, 53 million um, that uh, Manchester United rake in from um, Chevrolet for um, sponsorship of their shirt each season. Um, so, so that is, is fantastic. And, um, you know, that, that, that certainly uh, puts the club in a great position to turn another profit. Um, as you noted, um, you know, the, the large uh, bulk of the profit uh, for 1718 was due to the monies coming in for Felipe Coutinho in, in terms of the accounts. Um, the profit for 1819 should not be um, uh, to that extent, um, but I would still anticipate that the profit could be, um, you know, 40, 50, 60 million pounds um, because um, the, the wage bill will be higher this season than last. So, as I mentioned before, the wage bill for 1718 was 264 million. We've had a number of big contract extensions this season. Um, so the wage bill could be uh, 208, even you know hitting the 300 million pound mark, uh, especially if the team win the Champions League, because you can imagine there'll be massive bonuses to be paid out to um, many players if that were to happen. Um, but with, with revenues of 500 million thereabouts, um, that that would mean that um, even with um, huge wage bill and all the other expenses, um, amortisation, etc., um, there should still be a, a decent profit left. So, so so that certainly shows that the club um, goes from strength to strength um, financially, and that, that's really good. And then just on the kit deal, um, 
obviously no announcements um, other than, as you mentioned, uh, we do do know for a fact that um, the 1920 kit um, is being provided by um, New Balance. Um, but um, the expectation is that uh, for 2021 onwards, uh, we will see a 10 or even 15 year deal coming to effect. Um, and, and that could be with uh, Nike or, or the uh, uh, signs seem to point in their direction. Um, though, I mean, you still can't rule out the possibility that um, there is a change at New Balance and they decide to stump up the cash. And ultimately, as far as um, you know, fans should be concerned, um, you know, we, we all like to see uh, the players and even fans be able to be decked out in nice kits. But, you know, the more money we can make out of this, the better it is for the club because then it means that the more money there is available to spend on um, transfer fees to bring the best players and also on salaries and wages to keep them at the club for years and years. So uh, financially, this, this club is um, in about as good a position as any top club in Europe, and that's really great to see. So we'll call uh, a halt to this episode of uh, Off the Wall. That was uh, Money Talks Hot in the City with uh, myself and Mo Chatra talking about Manchester City and uh, the alleged financial doping. Uh, the show does go on to uh, discuss things like uh, Liverpool, their finances, their kit deal, the uh, the ticketing situation, the ballot with the Champions League final and such. So, uh, And we also talk about Chelsea and their transfer ban, a bit about Manchester United and their finances and things like that as well. So it's, it's well worth a listen to the rest of the show and you can get this show and uh, in full and uh, all our other shows over at anfieldindex.com forward slash join and that's a way to sign up to a free trial for Anfield Index Pro where you can listen to 30 or so of our podcasts every month our premium content uh, over on Anfield Index Pro we love your feedback There's, there has been so much feedback about this show uh, since since we did it our aim of putting it out on off the wall our primary aim if you like is to uh, get out to the wider football community so we'll be sending the link to various journalists and media outlets uh, once this show's released the uh Best way to give us feedback is our Discord community. It's a, a thriving community of Liverpool fans, and uh, you can join that for free. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord, which is D-I-S-C-O-R-D. So uh, head, head over there and do get involved. It's, a, it's an excellent community, and it's it's not the usual uh, banter fest, if you like, of Twitter. But we are on Twitter as well. We welcome your feedback there. We've got two Twitter accounts. Uh, the regular Anfield Index account is at Anfield Index. And the pro side for uh, the premium content is at Anfield Index Pro. So do uh, do give us your feedback on the show and let us know your thoughts on some of the things Mo had to say and uh, what ramifications you expect to happen on uh, on any of these things. So uh, we'll leave it there and uh, our content will step up now, really head towards that Champions League final next week in Madrid. So that's, uh, that's what it's all about now on Anfield Index and Anfield Index Pro. A good few of us are heading over there on the, to enjoy the festivities, but also hopefully uh, maybe bag a ticket from somewhere. So that's the uh, that's the objective here. So uh, until next time, up the Reds. Sports Social Podcast Network.